Well, we're turning today to look at Matthew chapter 6 and uh, verses 19 to the end. When we originally set up this sermon series, we had no idea what the state of the country would be like or the crisis would be going through. But it just feels that some of these readings are still really appropriate for us and maybe take on even more meaning in the context that we're now in. I think everybody would agree that this has been a really strange week. Uh, you probably woke up on Tuesday after the government announced the lockdown and felt that the whole world had changed. Maybe you felt that your life would never be the same again. You probably felt the world was a very different place. Except it isn't that different. The birds were still singing, the sun was shining, God was still in his heaven. It's just another day in March, apart from the sun, which has been an unexpected blessing during this week. What's different for us, though, is that probably none of us have lived through times like this. And so that is very different for us. And we've just been privileged to live where we live, when we live, and with what we have. Of course, that hasn't been the case for Christians down through history, for Christians right the way through um, the centuries. They've often experienced things like this or worse than this. And uh, I was just struck by how so many famous Christians whose quotes we love were actually writing in situations of um, real danger, real fear for their lives, times of plague and war and famine. And that probably makes the things that they say even more powerful. Uh, particularly thinking of Julian of Norwich, who's a very famous 14th century female hermit. Now, the Black Death came to Norwich in 1349 when she was just six, and it returned several times during her adult life in 1362, 1369, and then in 1373, when she was um, just 30, she fell seriously ill, and on her deathbed, so it was assumed, she had a series of revelations of God's love. She actually recovered later and was able to write them down and share them with us. And in the most famous line of the, her book, which is called Revelations of Divine Love, uh, Jesus speaks to her in a vision. And he says, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. This is someone who's lived through three outbreaks of the Black Death and who thinks that she's on her deathbed. Other famous Christians who lived through times of, of crisis, not unlike the ones that we're in, perhaps. Martin Luther lived through the plague in his hometown of Wittenberg. And Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, when he first came to London, did so at a time of outbreak, a terrible outbreak of cholera, when he began his preaching ministry in London. So the world may look like it's changed, but it hasn't really. Um, life has always been fragile. But it's really interesting that in the fragility of life, Christians have always discovered afresh the faithfulness of God, that God is a good father. Now, of course, we, we need to realise that Jesus' first hearers lived in troubled times. For them, life was very insecure. They lived in a state of national humiliation under um, a foreign military occupation. They lived in a state of spiritual exile where they weren't really able to um, carry out the sacrifices that God wanted in the way that God wanted with the right sort of king on the throne. They would all have been very concerned for their health at a time when there was no NHS or very concerned for the provision of daily food at a time when there was no social security or government help. And so the words that Jesus is speaking here 
um, are words that aren't pious platitudes. They're not super spiritual words. These are really grounded in the real world. And there's two big themes that I want to draw our attention to today. The first one is simply this. Where are our eyes fixed? Now, at the moment, you know, our attention is drawn by all sorts of things. You might be one of those people who's hanging on the news bulletins every day to see what's happening. But like anybody um, concerned with spiritual growth, I've found myself a source of endless fascination. I've always been interested in you know, the way that I tick and trying to understand myself a little bit better. And, and this is what I think I've found out. Um, I don't think that I'm particularly materialistic. Uh, I don't think that I'm avaricious or greedy. Uh, I don't think that I'm particularly fearful of poverty. But, and this is a big but, isn't it? Um, de uh, Becky would definitely say that I'm a hoarder. Now, I'd like to think that I'm a collector, but she sees the hoarding more than the collecting. And so if you go over our house, you'll see all sorts of things that I've built up over the years. So magazines I've subscribed to, I've probably got all the episodes, all the editions, all the issues uh, of each of those magazines. I think in the loft, I've still got a lot of LP records. I know in some cupboards, I've got lots of cassettes and even more modern stuff. You know, our house is full of CDs. Uh, if I were to pan the camera around slightly, which I'm not going to do because it might be slightly embarrassing, you'd see a big pile of board games. If I panned it around even further, you'd see a big um, bookcase of books. And actually, that's one of the few piles of board games in the house and one of a few uh, bookcases full of books in the house as well. So I know I've got a lot of stuff. And I'm the sort of person who, when Becky says, look, you don't use that, you should probably throw it out. I always think things like, well, no, I, I like having it and um, I might need it sometime. Or sometimes I might say, well, I, I'm sure that's got some value. I should probably try and sell that. And then I never quite get around to selling it because, you know, it takes a bit of time to do the eBay thing and get all that sorted out. Um, somebody once said, what do you give the man who has everything? Storage. So I don't know if you remember our old curate, James, but when James was here one Christmas, he gave me uh, a big racking unit, which was happily um, looking after my books and my games in my study. He gave me a bit of space for a while. I've now filled it, so I had to build another one. But just think for a moment about storing and what it might reveal about the state of our hearts and our spiritual lives. When you store something, what you're doing is you're putting something away for the future. When we're storing, it's surplus that we don't need now, but we think we might need in the future. And, and for me, that comes painfully close to the story of the rich fool who had all of these worldly things and just decided to build bigger and bigger storage barns. So the question for us all is, what are we storing up? I noticed earlier this week that um, Gareth had posted a little thing on Instagram about uh, just verses from Psalm 119. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now that's storing up good things for a good future. Um, but what you store up probably says a lot about your future hope and your focus. That's these verses where in verses 20 to 21, we're told to store things up in heaven, put our treasures in heaven because earthly things are insecure. They can be stolen, they can decay. But it then goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be 
also. And it shows something about the focus of those people who've run out and have done um, stockpiling. Not just people who know that they need stuff and so they've got in a reasonable amount of stuff to cover their immediate needs, but those who have acted out of fear and bought far, far more than they actually need. It says later in the passage that that's the kind of response of pagans, a fear response, because they, they have no concept of a loving God. But Jesus says something more than that. He says that our focus is not just revealing about our future hope and uh, uh, where our securities are, but he says that your focus fills you. These strange verses about the, the eye, what they're basically saying is what you allow to go in is what will affect you and shape you. Sometimes we say we become what we worship. Whatever we focus on begins to shape us. And more than that, it, it begins to dominate us. Money or, or anything else in this world is a master. Jesus calls it here uh, a god. It captures your heart. And so what we have to do with our earthly securities is put them in their place. They're not wrong, but they need to be made a servant, not a master. And we do that through generosity and through giving. And so, as I've often said, our need to give is far greater than the church's need to receive. Now, obviously, the church needs to receive our giving so that we can continue to do God's work because we live in a real world where things cost. But actually, the reason we give is, firstly, in response to God's goodness to us. But secondly, so that we break the control that money has over us. We give because it's good for our hearts. It's an expression of trust in God and faithfulness. That's why Jesus says later in this gospel in chapter 19 that it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The reason it's hard for them is there's a temptation in riches that when you've got your stockpile, when you've got everything put away, where you think you, know, you have enough and more than enough, then you'll think that whatever comes along, you can solve it through those earthly securities. And once you start to do that, then you'll never be able to trust God really for anything. So it's hard to look to God and therefore the rich find it hard to enter the kingdom of heaven because their riches make them always want to look to themselves. So can we, can we genuinely look to God? Can we, can we make God our focus rather than our material things? And you might be re being really stretched by that at the moment in these current circumstances you might genuinely have some financial concerns, some provision concerns. Maybe your stockpile isn't big. Maybe you were one of those people that was a bit more moderate, but now you're starting to worry about getting the essentials. Could be that you're self-employed or that your, your pension isn't going to be what you thought it was going to be and you're worried what the future might hold. Could be that you're a, a business owner or an employer who's worried about what it might mean, not just for you, but for others who depend on you and your business. So can we really trust God? And the answer Jesus gives is emphatically yes. And the reason is because God's eyes are fixed on us. So where are your eyes fixed? That'll say a lot about your future hope. But even more importantly, where are God's eyes fixed? Well, they are fixed on you and me. If God is both your focus and your master, then in the second half of the passage from verse 25, 
what Jesus is saying, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about what you'll wear. God is able to look after all those things for you. And he says it's because you are cared for by the Father. You're valuable. You're not in control, but he is. And these are very famous words, aren't they? We know all about them. We can't add a single hour to our life by worrying. So we have to learn how to trust. And we can trust God because he's proven himself to be faithful. He feeds the birds. He enables the flowers to grow and become beautiful. And ultimately, the point of all this is that God sees. Again, later in Matthew, in chapter 10 this time, Jesus says, you know, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them falls to the ground except your father sees it. Well, how much more you and me? If God cares for the birds, if God cares for the flowers, how much more you and me who are made in his image and for whom he sent his son Jesus? What this passage says is God sees you and he knows you. So try not to worry. Somebody once said, I think it was Craig Rochelle, don't be a Christian atheist. In other words, somebody who says they believe it all, but then acts as if there is no God at all. Try not to worry. Remember that there is a God who is a good father, who knows you, he sees you, he knows your needs, and he's faithful to provide. What Jesus says is, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need them. And we know that whenever Jesus talks about God being a good father, that that's expressed in action, not just in words. So rather than worrying about all those things, what Jesus says is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Run after it. Make God your focus. And when you do that, when he's your focus and your master, then he, the one who sees and knows, will supply all your needs. I was reading um, earlier this week somebody saying that one of the keys to good mental health at a time when a lot of people are worrying it is to know the difference between what we can't control and what we can control. And so there's lots of things that we can control. We can focus on our response, on our, where our eyes are set, where our hope is placed. We can focus on our words and our behaviours. And if we focus on what we can control and trust God for the rest, then it's so much easier to live in peace. And so Jesus wants to say to us today, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and trust in his provision. Just deal with what comes today and there'll be grace for that. God will get you through this day. He'll help you see tomorrow. Let him take care of tomorrow and try and live in the now of knowing that you have a faithful God who sees you, knows you, loves you and provides for you. Now we're going to have a short time of prayer ministry now. So I just encourage you, wherever you are, just to open yourself to the presence of God afresh. He's always here. He's always with us. But there are times when we can, as a particular moment of saying, Lord, I am wanting to be fully present to you, to be attentive to what you might want to say or do in my heart. So to still yourself, we often encourage people to close their eyes, maybe to open their hands as a, 
a gesture of openness and surrender to God. And ask the Holy Spirit to draw close. So Lord, I, I pray that as people are listening to this, I pray that your Spirit would just bring the Father's love to every heart. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself, your goodness and your grace. Now, in order to receive from God, often what we need to do is we need to still our hearts, to quiet ourselves. God has told us to cast our cares onto him. So take a moment and bring into God's presence anything that you're concerned about. Particularly if it's something to do with provision, financial worries or worries about being able to get hold of something, worries about your future. Jesus said that as, he, as we come to the Father, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And we're told to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. So Holy Spirit, take the cares and concerns that your children carry. And now instead, minister the Father's love and peace. And I pray that everybody listening to this would have a total assurance that you are a good father who sees and knows and meets our needs according to his riches in glory. Amen.